The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined once again by my very awesome co-hosts. Laura Nash. And Shane Kelly. And this week we are talking about the highly influential and incredibly uh, chronologically diffuse uh, game, Kentucky Route Zero. Yeah, so Kentucky Route Zero is probably the most influential and most important short game that we haven't covered. Uh, because we are cowards and we thought, what if it never ends? Like, what if it's an episodic game and we kept saying, oh, we'll cover it when the fifth episode comes out. And we've done that for four years. It's literally, it was literally on the list of games that I thought we should probably cover uh, that I constructed before the beginning of the show. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that would have been in 2014. This game, uh, it's episodes one and two, our acts one and two came out in 2013. Which is all we're covering today, by the way. Right. So we could have done this in 2013. We could have easily done everything we're going to do today <laughs> years ago. So to, to put this into context a little bit, um, at the start of the calendar year, we've just done our games of the year. And we we feel like, oh, you know, we've got plenty of time to cover 2020 games. Let's go back and cover this stuff that we swore we'd do years ago thus inevitably leading to the same situation we had this December of rushing to try and cover everything that came out in 2019. Except this is actually relevant now because the last chapter is getting released on January 28th. Yes. We are actually relevant covering it after in, many, in many In fact, years of we're delay. covering it early. We're we're ahead of the game, wouldn't you say? Because we're, we're recording week. this one week before the release of uh, Kentucky Route Zero Act 5, the final act, and also the TV edition, uh, which means that you'll soon be able to play this game on your uh, consoles like Xbox One, PS4, and even Nintendo Switch. What kind of Texan are you saying route instead of root? I, it's a good point. I should probably say root, shouldn't I? But uh, I mean, you know what? I've always just thought route. I don't know. It's what what uh, I've always heard Kentucky Route Zero in my head. Is that does, is that wrong? Nah, I'm on route. Accent. I mean, it's accents. I'm just surprised because I've never heard anyone from our hometown ever say anything but root. That's interesting. I don't know. My brain is broken. Uh, oh, no. I, your brain is fine. I'm just uh, folks. I've lived accent. all over. I grew up in Texas. I've moved to uh, New York, the Midwest. I've lived in Denver, and I've lived on the West Coast. I've been around, and I don't know where that particular phraseology crept into my head, but there it is. It's fine either way. I'm sure. So yeah, I think it is probably a good time for us to be covering this. Uh, obviously, with the uh, upcoming final act coming out. Uh, but I, I did kind of want to talk a little bit maybe more about like where this game came from and a little bit more about why we haven't covered it up to now, which I'm mean, not making excuses exactly, but it just sort of, I found it a little bit interesting looking back over the the years of Kentucky Route Zero in games, right? Um, so this game had a uh, a Kickstarter that at the time seemed like a successful Kickstarter and now seems completely ridiculously small and cute. Uh, this game... Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it raised something under $9,000 on Kickstarter. 
when it initially did its Kickstarter back in, I think, 2012. And uh, based on the wild success of that, they decided to apply themselves to developing this game over the course of the entire ensuing decade. Uh, And so they put out two acts in the first year. Um, and, uh, then there was some, I think the, the third act came out in 2014 and then there've been sort of progressively longer times. When did the fourth act come out? Mm-hmm. I should have that in front of me. I have a wiki. Some time ago. Yes. Act four came out in 2016, uh, July of 2016. So a couple years gap there. And then it's been a long damn time, uh, since July 19th of 2016, but here we are. I uh, I think the reason that I didn't play this before, uh, even though that this is one of those games that got con- constantly recommended to the show and recommended online to people who like indie games and other you know short games, is that you know, Laura mentioned that we kind of were were kind of waiting for all the pieces to come out. I, I looking at this game, I thought like this is a you know this is clearly a it wears on its sleeve that it's a surreal or magical realist thing. And something about that made me think this is something that I kind of need, I'm going to need to immerse myself in. And I was worried that if I played just a small chunk of it, that I either wouldn't feel like I got a complete picture or that I was like lost or something. I think all of that was needless. Looking back on it, I really probably would have enjoyed this quite a lot back in 2013. And I don't feel like I would have probably been waiting in dire suspense for the, the you know, years and years since. I think this just would have been a nice thing to go back to every few years when they came out with more of it. So, you know, that's on so me. So don't be like us. Well, now you don't you have to. You never the opportunity to go back in time. <laughs> right. Like right. But I mean, there we are. But I mean, like, if, if for some reason you missed Kentucky Route Zero and all of the uh, explanations of it, uh, the description that they provide, I think, is a pretty solid one. Kentucky Route Zero is a magical realist adventure game. And by adventure game, we're talking about more or less the traditional point and click style. A magical realist adventure game about a secret highway running through the caves beneath Kentucky and the mysterious folks who travel it. So a couple things to unpack there, but the main one, I guess, would be magical realist. Um, and... I find it a bit difficult to explain that, but I'm going to turn this over to Laura, who has uh, has made a bit of a study of explaining what the heck magical realism is to people. Yes, I co-founded a theater festival about magical realism. Um, another reason why we never covered it is because I kept wanting to do this with my artistic director, and she was busy putting on a theater festival. Uh, so really hard to get her in the studio for that, in our fictional studio that doesn't exist. Yes, the studio of the airwaves. Would you describe our our studio as magical realist? No, and this is why. So, yeah, magical realism, most people know it from books, like uh, Gabrielle Garcia Marquez. It's like this Latino uh, tradition. But basically, I had to build a twine game because I was getting so many bad submissions that were inappropriate that was called, is your play magical realism? And you answered questions and it would wrote you to, no, please do not submit, maybe take another look, or yes, yes, please, please send this right away. So basically, magical realism is really close to sci-fi, surrealist, absurdism, science fiction, all this other stuff. But basically, everything is realistic until it's not. And what I mean by that is there's these fantastic events and they happen seamlessly within a realistic environment. So 
everyone accepts them as part of reality. No one's pointing and going, look at that weird thing that just happened. It's so weird that that happened. Why did that happen? Everyone is like, oh, man, I'm so upset that my girlfriend turned into an almond. Or (laughs) like... I would be too. Yeah, but no one's like, why the hell is she an almond? That's so weird. No one ever says it's weird. Um, So often these kind of weird fantastical things happen and they show a character's inner emotion or something about the environment or something else. Like they generally don't interpret for you. Can I um, ask a question? Yes, absolutely. I, 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 One thing I don't really get is the distinction between surrealism and mm-hmm. magical realism. Or absurdism. So I think about, or absurdism, right? Yeah. Because uh, I think about a uh, play like Eugene Ionesco's The Rhinoceros. Yes. Uh, which it's been a while, but that's a play where a man is struggling against um, a society gone mad, where everyone is essentially succumbing to peer pressure and turning into rhinoceroses. Mm-hmm. Does that meet your definition of magical realism? Uh, because I always heard it brought up as absurdism. Yes. So at absurdism or surrealism, things are happening for no reason. And also it is mostly with people dealing with the outcomes of the thing. And magical realism is a lot more emotive. It's a lot about like the environment, like people are lost and then suddenly a doorway opens up or people are in love and petals rain from the sky. It's kind of like the the magic of emotions or the environment manifesting itself where absurdism or surrealism is often like nothing makes sense. Magical realism is if I just understood myself more, maybe this would make sense. Does that help? I think, yeah. And I, I, I think it's a, it's a great genre for like uh, sort of making uh, things that would be very um, poetic metaphors reality, right? So yeah. things that might, uh, might, might give you some kind of insight into uh, maybe the state of mind of the characters or something about them interior, yeah. their in, you know, interior lives that is brought out into the real world um, rather than just throwing absurd weirdness in for the sake of yeah. weirdness. Yeah, and I'm not a gatekeeper. Like, there's plenty of absurdism or surrealism that shares DNA with magic realism. The main thing is, like, the whole world isn't weird. A couple of things are off. They might get increasingly off, but really it's kind of about the characters and their journey through it. Not necessarily like it's less interested in society and more about people. Mm. I like that. That's that's kind of the differentiation. So um, one of the cool things about I don't think there's been any other video games that have played so particularly about it like there's plenty of magic realism elements in video games if, if you guys are still lost like what the hell is this i always pointed to jane the virgin or being john malkovich as really good pop culture examples totally um, yeah it's cool to have it as a video game because you get this kind of larger than life thing but it's still rooted to character um which is why i'm very surprised that i didn't play this until this week despite yeah. Literally, like, I kept also being like, what if we did this as an event where we put it on a projector? And they were like, have you played the game? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those games that, like, has a massive reputation. I, I remember that in 2013, um, it was on a lot of Game of the Year lists. And I went back and looked, and, and Rock, Paper, Shotgun uh, 
you know, did this listed this as their game of the year for 2013, which is interesting considering it was incomplete and still remains incomplete to this day as of this recording. Um, but it was their game of the year for 2013, uh, a site that I don't think tends to do. I mean, I, I haven't looked over their entire history, but I don't think they they are, you know, ex- they don't exclusively cover indie games for sure. And I don't think they tend to always have indie games as their uh, as their games of the year. Um, and it's won a zillion awards since then. I mean, it would be a little bit uh, uh, hard to even go back and, and list them all. Yeah. And guys, it's uh, basically interactive fiction. So true. Yeah. You know, it, they, there's a lot of elements in this. Like, the game kind of alternates between a few different sort of gameplay styles. Most of the game takes place in a uh, format that feels a lot like your traditional point and click adventure games, a genre that I think was getting a lot of nostalgic uh, like uh, reinterpretation back in the early uh, parts of the 20 teens. So I think it was very, you know, very of the early 2013 moment to to make a artistic reinterpretation or, or artistic take on literary take on the uh, the point and click adventure game. Um, but it has other things that feel a little bit more forward looking. Um, like there's uh, the other sort of main mode of play in this game is uh, driving around on a map and encountering scenarios that are presented as text in a way that feels very much like things like twine games uh, that might come later. Like the um, it, something about the way that those sort of like, uh, you know, encounters on the road uh, play out reminded me days, a lot of yeah. like, ah, yeah, 80 Days is a, is a great one. It really reminded me of a lot of things that would actually come later. This game had a lot of influence uh, on, uh, you know, on basically the entire decade worth of artistic narrative work in video games. And it's interesting to see that in retrospect, having not played it, you know, this was always sort of like a big glaring hole in, in my, like, I don't know, video game, uh, knowledge, I guess. And, uh, it it was sort of interesting to, to play it and see all these things is like, oh, I definitely see how this this is this feels very prescient for 2013 and i also can can think of almost a dozen you know a dozen ways that this particular thing about the game has cropped up in other games that are presumably uh influenced by it over the years yeah including a game that's not really focused on you winning <laughs> true it, it's very uh it's very focused on like presenting you know narrative and and interesting scenarios and like kind of bizarre or or interesting visuals and really not interested in puzzles which mm-hmm. I think would have like felt more innovative as a you know as a point and click adventure game in 2013 um you know that was I think at a time where like you sort of expected a game with this style of interface to be primarily about solving puzzles you know but there's no a uh, rubber chicken with a pulley in it or anything like that. I don't even think there's much of, I don't think there's even an inventory system uh, yeah. in this game. I actually, I actually kind of think that when you mentioned the rubber chicken with a pulley in it, um, magical realism and this sort of adventure game genre is in a lot of ways to me, a very, um, a very perfect wedding of uh, genre and, uh, and and like game style, uh, because in what other genre would you like just willingly accept being asked? What other genre of fiction uh, or of game would you be wi- would just willingly accept 
uh, being asked to file a bunch of paperwork before you're allowed to ask someone for directions. It's true. Yeah, it, it does have that sort of I mean, it, it, I can't th- I can't say that I can think of any games before this adventure games before this that I would say are specifically magical realism. But you definitely you know, if you look back over the history of adventure games, there's certainly more hints of magical realism than you'd find in most other styles of games. So I, I could think of things like um, uh, Grim Fandango, uh, not exactly magical realist, but a little bit. Eh, well, I, again, I don't want to gatekeep, but I think one of the things that feels like to me, the most magical realist thing about this is like people are complaining about deaths and bills to pay. And then two seconds later, like the back of a barn opens up. Like True. that's, it's the juxtaposition of those things mm-hmm. that like you keep going back to the real world. Like this game doesn't let you leave. Like you don't get to go completely into fancy. Yeah, um, it, it's very, yeah. it's it stays very grounded in the fact that like this is about an evening in these people's lives, or a night in these people's lives. The uh, The main character Conway has a job to do uh, that continues to sort of carry him forward. And it's a very mundane job. He has to make a delivery. Mm-hmm. You got to make a delivery. Uh, and yeah, there, there's there's sort of uh, bizarre or magical realist elements in everything about this game, but it never goes full fantasy or full, you know, alternate reality. It always sort of feels like they're just, just at the edges of normal. Mm-hmm. Mid mid level weirdness uh, permeates the game. It's uh, it never goes full on high weirdness. I think there's some moments, but like visually and and stylistically and also narratively, it's like very grounded in like the um kind of icons of Americana uh, that you would expect to see on like a picture postcard picked up from a from like a roadside gas station. And the the visual, the art style, I think, also kind of lends itself back to uh, Sword and Sorcery Super Brothers EP from what like that was around like 2001. So that predates this by just a little bit. Right. Mm-hmm. So it has this visual style that um, is also kind of very of its time. But, uh, you know, people, I think around that time, were looking at like these sorts of games and we're, we're trying to create this um, kind of visual style that was both kind of beautiful and like extremely stripped down. And and I, I think that that's kind of the, you know, the, it feels like a very lo-fi game, if that makes sense, just across the board narratively too. Yeah, I think you said uh, 2001 instead of 2011, but I knew what you meant. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. I meant 2011. You meant 2011. No, don't don't send us a, an email. Yeah, <laughs> don't email us. Uh, that's basically what I was saying. I have the timeline. Am I am I wrong on the timeline there? No, this game. Yeah, that, no, that, um, that would have right. been a, okay, a couple sorry. of years you before this game came out, which uh, makes sense to me in that it could potentially have been uh, an influence, or if not an influence, then at least sort of part of the same uh, moment in video games in a way. Um, so. Uh, a couple years ago, I was able to see the video games exhibit at Victoria and Albert, and Kentucky Route Zero was there because of all their influences. And something I thought was really cool was they were talking about, like, they wanted this kind of flat look um, because they were inspired by, like, theater sets and kind of, yeah. like, trying to make it feel like real spaces that people went into that you could kind of wander around these 3D spaces. Um 
and like they could control the camera so they could control the shadows and that was something they thought was really cool because they could like put shadows directly on parts of it or put it away and kind of confuse people and play tricks with the the lighting um so they really wanted to take that kind of like simplified look and then like what if we tried to make it feel like it could be a real place? Like that was something they really liked playing with because apparently this started off because they liked Mammoth Cave in Kentucky and they were like, caves are super cool. Yeah, that, that <laughs> makes sense. Caves are super cool. Let's do something. That's really cool. Yeah, I, I definitely have the sort of feeling from this that it, it's a game that feels a bit like it was made by theater people or book people. You know what I mean? Like it, 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 it feels like it's almost more part of that tradition than the traditional uh you know video game space yeah they called it their katamari ball of art you know it's actually weird that you mentioned that Mm -hmm. because wasn't the colossal cave adventure also inspired by mammoth cave yes and they were going to remake that that's where they started this whole damn thing oh that's great was what if we remade colossal cave adventure and then like eventually (laughs) became man i guess i guess all video game nerd you're not a real video game nerd unless you've explored the mammoth cave (laughs) That's wild. Yeah. That's such a cool connection. Shout out to our national parks. Yeah, <laughs> for real. <laughs> Maybe we should go outside. <laughs> yeah. Never. I refuse. I'll, I'll live my life underground before I go outside. <laughs> but uh, while we're on the topic of the the imagery of the game, I, I do want to call one thing out, which is uh, just the typography. Mm. The, um, the game uses its typography very well. It has a very simple typography style. Uh, but it uses a one of, I think, the very best monospaced fonts, which is called Inconsolata. Uh, it's a terrific font if you ever need to choose one for your terminal window. And they also do some really neat stuff with it. What The most noticeable is like that the word zero, every time it appears in, in text here, in a very like House of Leaves kind of way, has... Um, like shadowy clouds very softly and faintly floating across it. I don't know if they, I didn't really notice that many other uh, really um, obvious flourishes to the text, but the way that they like time it and things like that, I thought was very uh, well done. I just read about the text animations. Apparently they were inspired by Earthbound, um, but one of the tricks they did is that they have it slow, it animates in, so it feels like you're having more like a real-time thing, but they slow it down at commas and slow it down further at periods so it feels more like speech, like the text is pausing. And it's those kind of little polishes that like to try to get rhythm. Like it it feels like a really polished experience. And I think that's something that um, is why this is so beloved is like you'd make a little thing, but you craft it really well is kind of like you feel like you're in good hands um, in this game. Like you're doing weird things are happening, but you feel safe. You don't feel like this game is going to (laughs) crash. Yeah. And something about that, that like that was a bit of a surprise to me. Like I, I, um, I'm sort of on record on the show of like not being really that into point and click adventure games. Part of that is not liking the the flow of a narrative narrative to be interrupted by uh, by puzzles, particularly bad puzzles, which seem to be epidemic in uh, in in point and click adventure games. Um, this game has a flow to it that feels so much more natural. Uh, than any other point-and-click adventure game I think I've ever played. Uh, you know, a big, big part of that 
is the fact that it is mostly a you know using the the interface of a point and click adventure game to deliver narrative, but narrative always comes first with it. You know, it's always about um, continuing your story, and uh, you know, there's there's very little uh, time in this game where you feel like you're uh, stuck or moving too slowly or what have you. The the story moves at a pace, and the text is is a part of that too. Like just the just the act of reading text in this game, which is a lot of what you'll be doing. Um, you know, it's, it's not an overwhelming amount of text in this game. It's it feels a little bit mm-hmm. like a um, you know like a, a a terse American prose style, right? But it's uh, it has a pace to it that I wasn't expecting. And it was like a huge surprise. I think I would have probably played this game sooner if I had realized in advance how effortless it would feel to play and what a, uh, what a kind of cool experience it was. There was like, you know, zero moments of frustration for me in it, which was a bit of a surprise. Yeah. I think I totally leave the topic of little things that are polished in the game Mm -hmm. and, especially around that point and click adventure interface. Um, something that I just don't, I don't think I've seen in a point and click adventure game before, but was a v- almost hard to notice, but very nicely polished. Um, uh, first off, the the design of the cursor was kind of cute. It was a very minimal hand. Uh, and I've never seen it quite look like that. But the thing that was odd about it and, and unique was the, the movement of the cursor. As uh, the screen would scroll, as you like, for example, were walking or driving, um, the point you wouldn't be moving your mouse, but the cursor would stay f- in a fixed position in the world. Um, that was odd. Which, interesting. Yeah, uh, it was kind of it was kind of a little unusual, um, but it did kind of make the the feeling of of navigating the space a little bit different. I liked that it, it also allowed you to kind of like click and hold on a place to continue moving in a particular direction yeah. without having to like reposition. Mm-hmm. And also the very odd little indicator for when you when you've clicked on a place. Usually when you click to walk oh, somewhere in a really a, good one. video game, there's some indication. And and here it was something I've certainly never seen before, which was uh, a little uh, ghostly peg appears in the ground and a horseshoe uh, rings around it, which mm-hmm. definitely cute uh, and it's very clear. And I don't know, it's it was kind of kind of an odd choice, but it works. It's a little piece of Americana that yet so, yeah. you know still somehow feels a little off because of its sort of like ghostly color. Yeah, yeah, I I, I like that about it a lot. That that's a good one to call out, Shin, because I'd kind of I'd almost forgotten to mention it. And it's a uh, that's really cool, and you see it a lot. And that animation, like, ooh, that's a good animation. <laughs> yeah, the first couple times I was like, wait, am I driving a stake into the ground? And like, it, it's like, oh no, <laughs> it's a horseshoe. <laughs> So we've talked a lot about the polish of the game, and a huge part of that to me is the writing, which we haven't necessarily called out specifically. I, I think you talked about things that surprised you. I was uh, a little bit, I was pretty sure I would like the writing because so many people I like have praised the writing of this game, but I thought it might be uh, that really stark literary writing um, that I find really boring or like really florid, overdone stuff. And I, I think it's that really they've struck a beautiful balance to me. Um, Apparently, again, from that uh, essay from that B&A book, they said that they were inspired by not Samuel Beckett's plays, but his stage directions, where he has things like, the door is imperceptibly ajar, like these little extra. I love that. 
That's yes. really that's really true. If you haven't read a Samuel Beckett play, they're worth reading, even if you've seen them, because they are written in a really interesting way for a play. They're they're yeah. That's that's a yeah. really cool uh, cool thing to to note as a uh, influence. Yeah. So like a completely non spoilery description they have in the game is an abandoned spider web stretches across the bottom of a saucepan. A skillet is seasoned with dust. That's some good text. That's some good text. So, so my fear wasn't merited um, that this would be kind of, I mean, we, we're throwing around all these illusions and all these kind of like highfalutin bits. I thought it wouldn't be fun to read. It, it turns it out is, the people who said this was good were right. It uh, is fun. And it's occasionally also very funny in a, not, in a way that doesn't feel like it's trying to make jokes. It feels like the way that, that um, you know, absurd or or strange things can sometimes be funny, even when they're nest- even when they're sad, or even when they're not trying to go out of their way to be funny. Uh, I took a few screenshots of of moments in the game that I thought were like bits of good writing, and I, I mean, I could share a couple of them. Hopefully, they won't be too spoilery. Um, there was a there's a conversation you have in the first act with someone who, so you you've just set up a television for them, and you you know you turn it on. And a picture of a barn appears on the screen. And she says to you, that's not how it's supposed to look. You've made a mistake setting it up. Is it a foreign object to you? Which of your parents was it who wouldn't allow you to watch television? And then your choices to respond to this are, Ma thought she heard ghosts in the static. Or, Dad thought it was radioactive. Or, I know how to set up a TV. So you can have, just choose like I don't want this nonsense by right. You can you can pretty much just reject it, uh, reject the premise of the of the the conversation, uh, or like the same character. You know, you say something. You know, she mentions somebody, and and you know the main character says your cousin, and she says that's my father's brother's daughter, Shannon. We're about the same age. Well, we used to be. She's older now. Like that. That's not how that. Hmm, I like it. Yeah, that character in particular that you're discussing, Weaver, um, is probably the most interesting character that you interact with in the first two um, two parts, in my opinion. I think she um, she knows more than she's letting on. I love that, too. Or uh, I guess the, the third one that I can say, share out of my screenshots that doesn't feel like a spoiler. Uh, there's a, a few moments... There's a lot of moments in the game where you're you're driving around on the sort of world map of the game and you can come across these sort of text interactions. I mentioned them earlier, but basically they're little like text prompts that come up as you pass something on the road and you can choose to read them. And usually they're just very simple little one or two line scenarios. Um, and there's one where you come across a man sitting by the side of the road playing a guitar, sitting on the ground. He's got a cup in front of him. Um and uh, you have an option for whether, you know, you want to pass on by or, or put a dollar in his cup. So I chose to put a dollar in the young man's cup. And then uh, then the, the text says, the young man stops playing, pulls the wet dollar bill out of his whiskey and hands it back to you. <laughs> I was just like, that's perfect. Yeah, jerk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, jerk. Um, the, the game is full of moments of that kind of writing that feel... And, uh, I'm sure they don't play as well when some, you know, idiot podcaster is reading them to you. Uh, they they play perfectly in the game. It's really something. It's just really, really good writing. Yeah, I think I was 
my biggest surprise of the game was probably in like the delivery system that there is like a lot of opt-in type, like wandering around and finding stuff. Like I, I kind of thought this game would be completely on rails and it wasn't. And it's little moments like that, that if you are feeling meandering, you can wander. And if you're not, mm-hmm. you can choose to just go on with the plot and you don't feel like you miss anything. And mm-hmm. I think that was, um, I was surprised because it seems like games that are praised for narrative are often just on rails and you have to do all of the things to feel like you got the game. So uh, that's probably before we get into spoiler territory, that was the number one thing that surprised me in a good way about this game. I also think before we get into spoiler territory, we could talk just about some of the themes Mm. of the game a little Mm. bit. Yeah, Yeah. I, I took some notes about a few different themes that I saw and I'd like to get your thoughts and maybe some of the ones that you guys think. I'm curious because so. I think I would have a really hard time picking out specific themes. It's a, you know, it's sure. a, it's a, it feels very like full of meaning. And yet I would have an incredibly difficult time telling you what anything means. Um, I'll tell you what themes not there. Violence against women is not in this game. Yay. They, yay. <laughs> okay. I, I had to say it again in telling lies, but like, again, sometimes games are praised for having like really great themes and you kind of are like, cool, is someone going to get murdered or worse? No. Um, yeah. I know it seems like a weird thing to praise, but just if that's been keeping you from playing, uh, it's not in the game. Don't worry about it. Worth mentioning. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't think of anything significant that I'd have to say as like a, uh, like a content warning for this. Um, I, I there's you know maybe uh, if you're uh, claustrophobic, a lot of the game uh, uh, has to do with uh, sp- underground spaces. They're not presented in a particularly claustrophobic way, but I can't think of anything where I'd think of like a serious content warning about it. Yeah, but Shane, go ahead. What what were your themes sure. before I was like, it's not about violence. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my first theme was um, I think. Much more so than other adventure games and and more so than, I guess, a lot of narrative games, it plays with different perspectives. Mm. Um, you know, it it very quickly drops you into uh, kind of different characters and, and their in different interactions. And, you know, they're moving through the world as a group and they have kind of different, you know, a lot of times, you know, you, you're offered different choices for how you as the player respond to something. But instead of it being, you know, your your different take on sometimes it's, you know, different things Conway might say. Right. And that is that is cool where they they give you kind of like your example with the TV setup, like different. You know, what does Conway choose to share? Right. Uh, but then there's also this additional character who I guess we'll talk about in spoiler territory uh, that gets introduced um, who kind of joins the trip. And you're often kind of given moments where you are interacting as both kind of one or both of them, uh, which I think that was kind of interesting. Um, and it's not something that is super commonly done in games of this style. Or, and, and not to not to spoil anything, but, uh, or even you're, you can sometimes be uh, playing as observers of them uh, in a really weird yeah. sort of, it's a sort of a weird third person kind of narrative perspective. Yeah, and that's kind of an extremely literary way of, of writing. Like, you know, it, it feels kind of like, well, I don't know. It's it's that 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 feels not very video gamey. I guess I'll just I'll just leave it at that because I want to talk about my other ideas too. Um, the second thing I think is a big theme is just America's love affair with the automobile. Mm. You know, we start off the very first scene is in a 
very elaborately designed gas station. Equus Oil. Everything is about navigating around. Uh, you know, one of the kind of key interactions that you have is you've got a, a kind of a notes section of your interface where you can see the turn by turn directions like, you know, uh, go down the street until you get to the old abandoned prosthetics factory and then turn left. Right. That's the kind of that's the kind of interaction you'll have with NPCs. And it'll, it'll have it also in your notes. And then you you are having to follow that kind of directions. Right. And so this is the classic image of like the kind of myth of the great American road trip. Right. And also part of that like idea of the of the American road trip is driving along all of these oddly numbered freeway highways like Kentucky Route Zero and along the way having unique and bizarre sights to see which I mean I think that's that's this game in a nutshell so that's kind of that's kind of another thing my husband and I just relocated from Chicago to New York and we decided to road trip it and we spent a lot of time in like rural Pennsylvania and um, we kind of just added a couple extra days where I was like hey I'll take three hours off work in the morning so we can drive and it's supposed to be a one hour drive but let's stick around and we ended up on like weird uh like on an underground freeway yeah we ended up on an underground freeway well we found like a place where they um have like a Krishna temple and a bunch of peacocks running around. And then we found like a, a beautiful overlook. And then we found a haunted prison. And like, we just kept finding <laughs> this random stuff. My Snapchat was really weird. Cause everyone was like, I thought you were working today. <laughs> what? Why did you send me an entire case of shivs as a Snapchat? <laughs> but You're like, in Kentucky Road Zero. <laughs> but that's what this reminded me of. Um, it's that kind of like, you have a lot of extra time, let's do it. And like, yeah, in this game, you don't necessarily have extra time, but you don't know where you're going, so you might as well stop. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, Absolutely. I, I don't normally road trip, so that's, you know, I'm really glad I had had that experience before I played this game. Reagan, you have done a lot of road tripping in your life because you've moved cross country many times. Um, and also, I know that both you and your wife are elaborate trip planners. So I, oh, I yeah. can imagine you have had some roadside attraction experiences. I don't, I mean, yes, but I don't think you understand just how methodical we are about our road trip planning. We drive fast and we don't take chances. We plan a route and we do it. And I don't think I've had the kind of road trip experience that this game really is sort of drawing on. Well, I, that's because it's not real. Like no one has truly had the kind of road right. trip experience that is like, because it's it's about it's about this I image or illusion of the great American road trip. I mean, yeah. we used a website to find our beautiful things to stumble upon. Like imagining that this country is 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 shot full of unique Americana like somebody hit it with buckshot, you know? Yeah, like, it wasn't like you didn't need turn by turn directions to find the beautiful hidden mill. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, you can go into any uh, any bookstore and find a book called like Weird America that tells you where to find the weird things that that are off the off the turnpike, but you're not going to be the only people there. Uh those things are, you know, that's the that's You will be the only person there, but you're going to have to have 
Google show you the way, right. which I think loses the magic. I don't I don't love the like, oh, it's a love affair to X, but like it's or love letter to X. But it's a it's definitely playing a, around with this sort of like idea of uh, of rural American uh, travel that it's a bunch of people from Chicago who took a road trip to Kentucky in a rented van for the weekend and were like, this is what all of it feels like. This is what we wish we saw. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's where the developers are from. And they were like, this is what it was like, guys. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and specifically, when I use the phrase America's love affair with the automobile, I'm talking about something that is an abusive relationship. Mm. You know, America, you know, crisscrossed itself with concrete um, in order to sell cars and in order to sell this idea of the open road that, you know, can lead you into all these magical places. Yeah. But again, like I said, I think that's a myth, but it kind of leads me to my third, to the third theme that I think that I think I have here, which is the, the, and I think maybe is the biggest theme in terms of the characters and the locations, which is just rural American poverty. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the antique business that Con- Conway works for, is seems like it's not necessarily doing great. I don't know. They're moving TVs around in the middle of the night. We actually don't know what he's delivering yet. I don't know if we find that out at some point. Okay, later, yeah, I don't think we know. Well, he did deliver it. Yeah, the TV was incidental. Uh, he needed to deliver the TV in order to get directions. That's right. Uh, but the still, yeah. Weaver's parents' farm mm, uh, yeah. was repossessed. The TV repair shop had gone under the... Uh, that you go to, I'm, I'm talking about a bunch of, I'm, this is getting into spoiler territory, but you know, that you really can't talk about true rural American poverty without talking about the exploitation of mine workers. Yeah. Um, and I guess we'll talk about that. So I think overall, like that, almost every location really emphasizes that theme. Um, it's true. Yeah, yeah. And that's something we phrased a lot in Night in the Woods. And I don't think we realized how much this game deals in the same themes. Yeah. Like and time. I don't think we realized at the time how much this game influenced Night in the Woods. I mean, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. For sure. So, yeah, that's very good stuff to call out, Shane. And I, I I thank you for doing it because I am like, I I think I would have had a much harder time putting my finger on specific themes here um, because I was so I was pretty engrossed in the story and the dialogue and the sort of like, uh, you know, the weirdness of it. Right. Uh, that I maybe wasn't taking enough time to stop and think about, like, what is this game trying to say with all of this stuff? Um, it really doesn't feel like it's trying hard to get a specific message across, especially not like a specific, like, um, political or social message across. Uh, but it's, it's manages to, it manages to do that through its tone and subject matter anyway. Um, you know, th- that's something you could maybe contrast this with something like night in the woods, you know, night in the woods is a great game and I don't want anybody to, to like skip it for any reason. It's one of my favorites, but, um, but like this feels more subtle than night in the woods. Yeah. It's funny that uh, a lot of the decade review stuff that talked about Kentucky Route Zero talked about it kind of as the different chapters unfolded, uh, picking up different parts of the theme of rural poverty, like over time, like as what was like going on the two years of the development kind of sunk into it. And so some people called it like 
a game of the decade because it covers the themes of the decade because it's gone because if it's something is development slowly like it can kind of roll up a lot of the stuff and it's 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 interesting to see it all at once the end yeah and it, and if it's not clear we are recording this uh having played just the first two acts and that was sort of yeah. intentional um you know we knew we were really only going to want to talk about uh we need we needed a, a manageable chunk of the game to talk about uh, and it seemed like a good approach right to go ahead and play just the first two acts which came out to close enough together in 2013 um and uh, the rest of the game is uh you know came out between now and uh a, a week from today basically um that part we're kind of leaving for maybe another episode or something. So so there's definitely going to be, you know, maybe, maybe if you've played more of this game than we have, you're looking at what we're talking about here and saying, oh, they haven't even picked up on the important themes that, that come up in Acts 3 and 4 and maybe 5. And you're right. Um, but, you know, it, it's still really interesting to look at just like what what's what was there this feels like with it, looking at just the first two acts you're kind of seeing like what was their original intent with this game and um the idea that this might have grown and changed in what it was trying to say over the course of a decade only makes it more interesting so i don't think this game can be spoiled but i think we're going to talk a little bit about story beats now or things we we found spoiled. really spoiled i don't think this game could be explained <laughs> yeah so like if you're really nervous and want to go in completely pristine, uh, turn off now. But yeah, m- much in um, the way that like reading a plot summary of like, oh, I'm almost anything that has surreal elements to it feels like completely like it's missing the true story. It's like reading a plot synopsis of the first three episodes of Twin Peaks. Like, did you actually see Twin Peaks? No, no, no. You don't know anything about what happened because what happens is, is how it makes you feel while you're playing through it. And like what it evokes and all sorts of other things that just don't get drawn up in a plot summary. So even if you went and read the plot summary of this, there's, there's nothing about that would necessarily like spoil anything for you. That said, we are going to Probably, I mean, I'm not going to do a full-on spoiler break. You won't hear the drum beats here, but um, we're going to be talking about the uh, first two acts and like some moments from them that that uh, that stood out to us. I'll just do the drum beats anyway. Boom, boom, chugga, da, boom, ba, doom, cha. Thank you, Shane. I appreciate that. Less editing for me. Uh, so the first act, we're introduced to Conway and his dog. Um, is the dog always named Blue? I forget if that was a choice or not. You choose you it. Choose the dogs. I named the dog because well, it's his name is Homer, and I was like, it's an Odyssey reference, and then I named the dog Blue because I wanted it to be a lady. Right? Yeah, <laughs> that was my preference as well. And the dog is wearing a straw hat, which I love. The dog is like a constant presence in the game, and one of the things I really like about the dog is that you can always go over and talk to the dog, um, and you're given some choices about like how you address the dog that give you some idea about like how Conway, what Conway thinks about the dog. So you always have a sort of a choice between. Uh, addressing the dog as sort of like an elderly, long-suffering companion that, you know, sorry you had to walk all this way, boy. Uh, or or a kind of a I don't have a good example of the of the way this is way this sort of thing is phrased, but there's also always a choice to sort of regard the dog as like a, like an elder, uh, like oh, you know, wizened old, uh, you know, someone to be respected. Uh, someone who's uh, taking it all in and observing the world around them in a way that, you know, they, you, there's there's sort of different ways to perceive that dog. And every t- chance I got, I was like, hmm, this dog, this dog is worthy of respect, you know? It's a, it's a good video game dog. Just every time you tell the dog, like, 
stay and guard the truck, boy. And you walk off and it like slowly follows you. <laughs> <laughs> that poor skeletal dog. It, it walks yeah. much, much slower than you do. And yet somehow it never really gets left behind. Uh, I like that about it. Um, and of course, you you know, you meet up with the the guy who runs Equus Oil. Equus Oil, I mean, it's the, the, the first scene of the game, um, but it's also one of the most striking images. And it's obviously what they use on a lot of the marketing materials and things. You know, if you download this game from one of the various... Uh, stores, it'll probably be the like headline image. Um, and it's this really cool art deco looking, uh, um, you know, uh, filling station, but with this massive horse head sculpture, uh, sort of poking out of the top or maybe just behind it. Um, and it has this sort of googie style slanted roof, um, that is like, I mean, all in all that, that whole, Thing it looks like something you'd find in the middle of like the Nevada desert, in my opinion. Like it, it's, it's a it's a gorgeous structure. And my favorite thing about it is the depth to it. Like as you, as you explore, uh, the space, the whole thing is revealed to not just be a horse's head, to be, to be an enormous horse that is both <laughs> that is partially submerged in the earth. <laughs> just so good when you get into the basement underneath it like the, that is also shaped like a horse and uh it, it, you never see the whole thing at once um but it's uh, i i don't know that that really is a beautiful it's just a gorgeous location that was and cool. we're, we're introduced to that lo- location also with the truck which is the kind of uh, unspoken companion through this whole thing is this truck that's a, a true antique it looks like maybe a a 1920s or 30s box truck with uh, little round, uh, you know, and you almost never see detail in the truck. It's like a, it's a, it's a blank figure, uh, just a shape uh, of a solid and color, glowing headlights, two glowing of headlights. Dark. Yeah, uh, I really, really liked the moment. So obviously, you know, you you meet the guy who runs the filling station, and he tells you you'll need to get on the zero. Um, but there was a moment in there that I thought was really cool, and I kind of wondered what they were trying to say with it. I have my little theories about it, but like you go down into the basement, um, and you need to turn on a, a like a power switch, and there's a bunch of people sitting around sort of a card table playing a game that if you listen through to their dialogue is kind of like a, it sounds almost as if they're playing a tabletop version of Kentucky Route Zero. They've got like maps of Kentucky spread out on a table and they're talking about things like like probability tables and dice rolls and things like that. Um, and they've they've lost their D20 and you have to go and find it for them. Um, but of course, when you find, when you go back, they're gone. And the sort of disappearance of these gamers who are playing, uh, playing a sort of a uh, odd uh, abstracted version of the game that you yourself are playing. I had a feeling that this was sort of the, the developer trying to take a moment and say, like, leave your gamer behind. You know, you're not this is you're, you're sort of trying to tell you, like, no, you're in you're in the surreal Kentucky now. You 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 know, these these folks here were uh, were trying to figure out game systems and dice rolls and so on on these uh, on the Kentucky Route Zero map. Right. But uh, the game is sort of vanishes them immediately and i felt in a way kind of like the game was telling me like you can you can drop all of that this isn't this isn't that type of game oh i just keep the die or did you leave it on the table i definitely pocketed it i kept it oh i left it on the table who knows when you might need a d20 right i was like are the dnd ghosts gonna come back and like will they be like are they gonna be stuck forever 
I was like, did I free them by finding this die or am I? And then I kept it and then I walked out and I was like, oh, I should have put the die back, but I don't want to go back. Their souls are trapped forever in the die. It's your fault. Yeah, I told him I would try and find it, so I left it for them on the table. That seems that seems You're a appropriate. better person than me. I thought maybe they'll turn up again, and I'll give it to them. Then. Although, honestly, if I actually in real life could have a glow in the dark D twenty, that'd be tight. All right, I'll add that to my uh, Christmas gift list. And uh, yeah, so obviously we're not going to talk through every beat, but um, I did want to talk a little bit about uh, about Weaver. Uh, Shane, you mentioned her earlier. Weaver is the character that you meet. Uh, you're directed to go to talk to her because she knows the way to the zero and you're trying to make a delivery on Dogwood Drive and you need to take the zero to get there or so you're told. So she knows the way to the zero. We go to try to find Weaver and she is real weird. Um, What was your guys read on on Weaver? She's dead? I kind of I kind of thought she was a ghost too, but but then she's not. That's the only. I um, mean, like you know, you, it's you you can't you can't like you know ferret out like a true meaning behind any of this stuff. But the uh, the idea of like that they were the same age once, but her uh, cousin is older now, definitely had a kind of a ghostly ring to it to me. But it also could be like my cousin has her shit together and I don't. Of course, so, of course. Like all of this stuff, like that's what I liked about Weaver is that all of her language has this plausible deniability. Absolutely. Of like she might just be kind of like a, I've been watching some Fringe recently and I'm like she might just be kind of like uh, people on Fringe who say things and they don't, they they take the poetic way around yeah. things. Yeah, my, my take on Weaver was not, I definitely did not, even begin to think like, oh, she's a ghost or something like that. I I more thought of her as like someone who was kind of, you know, maybe in touch with another plane or like, actually, there's a sense, there's a sense that I got from her especially, but really from everyone in this game that they are, Halfway here and halfway somewhere else, mm. you know, yeah. and it for for Weaver, the, the thing that stood out for me about her is that every sentence, every time she spoke, it was she had something, something to say, some statement to make, but she always turned it back on you with a question. Every single every single line she had turns things back to you with a question that's that seemed seemed designed to feel insightful but also in a way like oracular somehow mm-hmm. like th- mm-hmm. that that was kind of the 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 vibe that I got from her she she definitely sort of felt like she had one foot in and one foot out because she was she was returning to a family home that she had left at some point and also then she uh, she vanishes again um and when you speak to her cousin Shannon who's become sort of the the second main character uh, uh she expresses like surprise, like you talked to Weaver, like how, um, you know, and I, you can interpret that. I, I I thought at the time, like, oh, you know, maybe she's just, she's just, she didn't know she was back in town, but it could also just be like, well, she's, she didn't know she was back from wherever they go. Right. Like it, it's, uh, Anyway, I, I thought she was a really neat. I hope she chose back up. She hasn't showed back up again since that initial encounter with her. But I have a strong feeling that she will. I don't know whether it'll happen in Acts three or four or maybe five. But I, I feel like there's an important thread there for Shannon. And uh, speaking of Shannon, we meet her at the Elkhorn Mine. 
the Elkhorn. Oh, yeah. Before uh, we go to the bait shop, and did you guys stick your hands in the tank? Oh my god, yes. That's super weird. I mean, you know, did that... you get electrocuted? <laughs> stick your hand in what tank? So if you go to the bait shop, you can. There's a bunch of tanks there, and you can stick your I hand didn't even in go there. there. And if you 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 stick your hand all the way down to the bottom, like you think something's gonna happen, and then you pass out, like you have this flashback, and then like you come to, and the guy's like. And he points and like the sign that was hanging above it, like fell and in, into the tank and slightly electrocuted you. So like you think you had this beautiful moment and he's like, no, now do you just got like electrocuted? I, I love that. It was it, it felt not so much like a like a beautiful moment or a flashback as like suddenly you were transported to a moment of drudgery. And, uh, you know, you're you're it, it was a it was a moment where you were working I'm not even sure if it was your life or Conway's life, rather, but like it was a moment where you're working on a uh, on a roof and you're, you know, day drinking, probably irresponsibly and then driving. And it's like it did not seem like a beautiful moment to me. It, in fact, seemed kind of like a moment of of uh, um, guilt or something. Yeah, or, yeah guilt or, or maybe just sort of like uh you know, again, Shane, to the, the the theme of like rural American poverty, it just sort of felt like uh, it felt like a very sort of everyday, not good interaction with, I don't know, the world. It was bad. Yeah. And I, I don't remember it very well. I just remember that like you had this. It, yeah, it's weird. So it's it's a, probably not. A it's a weird. Oh, way. I don't know. It, like you could definitely read it that way, that way, though, because it does have that sort of like peacefulness, but also like a peacefulness of like this is still shit. Um, I, it was, it was, it was a weird thing to sort of suddenly flash to, and, and then you're right. Like it did sort of turn it into a joke with the, like, you got electrocuted. Yeah. And the fact that I didn't see that, I, I, I wonder how dense these maps are with those sort of incidental locations, because I, I thought I really checked out everywhere on that first big map. And, uh, clearly I didn't. I think it's super cool that you can wander around and find this stuff or not, and it's easy to miss. And I don't know, it feels more like driving around at night. Like, you might miss something. That's true, yeah. And sometimes, you know, you drive past something, a little dot shows up on the map, you double back, and, and you know, hopefully it's still there. You know, it's it's has that sort of like, like, it does sort of feel like night driving. It's, it's uh, you know, I don't know if we said it at the top, but the the when they describe the length of the game, the developers say it's, uh, the length of a roughly the length of a summer night. And it really does sort of have this sort of like long summer night. It's too dark. It's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a it has that, it has this really like has a real vibe to it with that sort of thing. Um, so, I mean, obviously, so, I mean, I, I don't think we need to go through every plot point, but I do want to make sure we at least hit the major characters. And Shannon is the sort of second lead that we meet when we get to the Elkhorn Mine. Uh, we've been told that that is where we can find the entrance to the Zero. But when we get there, uh, it seems like that maybe isn't the case, but Shannon thinks she knows how to find it. Um, and I don't know, what's your read on Shannon? What's her deal? I don't know why she was in the mine Initially, she's she, you find her on the phone with someone once again. Hitting on this theme of like rural American poverty, she's talking about maybe maybe it sounds like she's fleeing a unpleasant relationship, maybe abusive. And then. Wants someone out of her house, but is trying to split the rent. It, it, I got that 
I, I think that's what I picked up from that first conversation. But she's also clearly like milling around this old mine that she has a very personal connection to. I guess I'll let somebody else explain that connection. Yes. If you go to the bait shop, there is a sign on the door that says she thinks she's going to meet Waverly at the mine. Uh, yeah, yeah. So she was going there to meet uh, meet her cousin that we saw earlier. But um, that's so, right. Like, Waverly showed up at the bait shop apparently and told her to meet that she'd meet her at the mine, and then she didn't show up. But um, or, or told her to go. Why to the mine. anyone would want to meet anyone there is uh, yet again a mystery of this game. Yeah, but the, the yeah. there is a sort of family history to it too. So you know we uh, we mentioned earlier that there's sort of a tragedy to the mine. You know, you get a lot of details from Shannon about the miners who once worked in this mine. Uh, the sort of uh, you know abusive practices of the co- mining company, you know that they got paid in plastic uh, coal chits or something like that, coal scrip, and that they would have to spend coal scrip in order to do things like run basic equipment like fans to keep the air circulating in the mine, um, you know, and uh, you also learn about uh, some researchers or sort of uh, musicologists. Ethnog, what, what's the word for that? The um, ethnomusicologist, eth- maybe, yeah. That, that were I don't. I think I don't know. I, I, I'm. I, I, there's a word used for it in the game, and I don't remember exactly what it was. But anyway, sort of researchers, sort of trying to collect yeah, folk. I think music. they just call them archivists. That's sounds about right. Um, anyway, there were we get. A, I don't know if I saw this part. So oh well, we get I'm some just... history about uh, about these um, researchers going down into the mine to sort of collect uh, collect songs from the miners um paying them in coal script uh and uh, and getting songs from them and um i believe that there was a cave-in in the mine and i think all of them died and the it it's revealed later that the uh the you know the you know researchers the archivists whatever were um were weaver's family uh like parents or something um I don't know. It's a little, little, little vague, like a lot of the things in this game are. But it has this sort of feeling of, of history, a sort of a, you know, in that same way that, you know, a, a, a maybe maybe another theme of this game is this sort of like tie to the history of the place, a history that goes back a long ways, including things like, but like people have been, uh, people have been abused uh, by the the powerful forever, right? One of my favorite details in this mine um, is that the different branches of it are marked with kind of random objects kind of hung from the walls. And she kind of states that, like, for example, one of them is like marked with a rowboat hung from the wall. And she, she mentions that the miners, in order to not get lost, would use their company store credit to buy things like this rowboat and hang them in the mine as ways to mark the different paths and locations. And they, they especially kind of really drill home this idea of the company store by by having the, the tokens that the miners would earn, they would actually have to spend those in a machine 
to turn on things like the lights and the ventilation and and you and and things like the the little minecart that you have to ride around on yeah it's a it's a pretty cool scene but it, and obviously like they wanted to play with these ideas of like caves and underground things you know the 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 zero itself is an underground highway um connected to this mine uh, and obviously like if they were playing on the colossal cave adventure like they definitely had uh, had <clears throat> caves and mines on the mind um it it was a moment in the game that felt a little bit slower uh than a lot mm-hmm. of the other parts um you know there's there's a bit more sort of exploring in here and uh i uh, at times i felt like it was maybe maybe a little bit too slow yeah this is one of two um what i would and this is one of my least favorite things in the game is uh, is there's a couple of these pointless mazes that are not challenging. Yeah, there's like four four directions you can go in. I went in all three of the wrong ones first, naturally. Of course. And the, the, the second one I'm referring to is there's an elevator sequence later on, you'll know. Um, yeah. But I, I think I think there's there's a couple of places like this in the game where uh, they want to add maybe um maybe a, a two or three interesting locations and interactions for you to have, uh, but they put it into a large multi-path structure that has some interest, but also just adds a lot of backtracking and navigation time. Yeah, and, and, I just, and Conway I walks really slowly, you know? The, the, he, the characters all... We, we have not mentioned, slowly. yeah, it, one of the first things that happens to him in the mine is there's a cave-in and it injures his leg, and so he becomes uh, even slower and limps for the rest of the game. Yeah, so it's definitely, um, you know, it's not, it's not without its... Uh, adventure game pitfalls, right? You know, I've I've definitely had this issue in other adventure games. It's a bit of you know, it, um, just a sort of a feature of the genre. Um, you kind of have to know that you're going to be dealing with uh, walking around at a pace that feels a little too slow. Um, maybe the camera pans a little slower than you'd like. Maybe there's a place where you try to click where you want to walk to where that's not a place you can actually walk to, that kind of thing. And that's just sort of part of games designed like this. Um, you know, I, I got past it. Not a big deal. But I, I will say it was definitely, you know, it's still it's still a thing because I think it's a thing in all games that are built this way. Um, I wonder if there's any any important moments that you guys remember from the maybe the second act that you particularly want to call out as really great moments or maybe really great settings? Um, I'll say I really liked the bears. And <laughs> that is a really, really good bit. Explain it just a little bit. Uh, so one of the floors uh, on the elevator in uh, the bureau in the, um, what is the full name of bureau the Bureau of Reclaimed Spaces. Yes, the Bureau of Reclaimed Spaces. Uh, one of the floors in the elevator is just marked bears. Yeah. And of course, I went there first. And you just get out and the bears are just like there. And it's just bears. And they just look at you. Didn't know what you were expecting. Yep, you get they in the elevator you. and you get the choices. Fifth floor, diagrams and drafts. Fourth floor, archives and records. Third floor, bears. Second floor, conference room. First floor, clerk's offices, lobby. Um, I also immediately, well, actually, I, I immediately hit uh, to go all the way to the diagrams and drafts floor, which is where I was actually headed, and zoomed past, and there were the bears. I was like, damn, why didn't I go to the bears? <laughs> so, of course, I got back in the elevator and went back and saw the bears. They're, they're just there. They're just hanging out. 
I also really liked the concept of a museum of dwellings, like a house museum. And um, I love that too. I, do, do you remember there was a, cool a, you know what it reminded me of very strongly was that there was a, um, there was a park in Houston when I was a kid where they had transported a number of houses from all over the state to this park. And I don't even remember what the park was called and I'm not sure if it's still there or not, but like you could go to this park and they had a sort of log. It's still there. A historical log cabin and then, and a, you know, a couple of other older houses and they, they made a big deal in the little signs that you could read about how these had been picked up and moved there. Uh, whereas the, the museum of dwellings, like they literally like bulldozed the town, but they brought, the dwellings from the town, many different dwellings, like, you know, fancy houses, but also things like, uh, like a tent and, uh, RVs, uh, and even things like chicken coops and brought them all together into this museum of dwellings, but people still live in most of them. Since we've moved on to discussing the second chapter, um, I, I would like to bring up, there's a, um, there's something that I always watch for in video games. And I think it's an indicator of creativity in video games. And it's the, uh, what I would consider the time to crystal indicator. (laughs) In most video games is particularly prevalent in role-playing games. Um, At a certain point, they will introduce an ominous and powerful crystal. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Invariably. Um, sometimes it's an orb, but sometimes it's a crystal orb, so that counts too. Sometimes it is a crystal orb, yeah. Usually it is a naturally formed looking um, shard of crystal. Uh, sometimes the crystal is separated into different shards and you have to collect all of them. Um, this is the only game that I've ever... It, so the, the time to crystal in Kentucky Route Zero is... Uh, one act and one scene, <laughs> which is, uh, I would say, better than some games, you know, percentage wise. Um, uh, but it did have a unique use of this crystal. I found it very, very amusing. As soon, once you're on the Kentucky Route Zero, uh, many of the pieces of direction that you are given uh, involve this large, ominously hovering crystal. Uh, so you might receive directions that say something like, go to the crystal. Uh, go clockwise until you reach the crystal, then turn around. <laughs> yeah, we didn't talk uh, about the, the map screens that much. And that's something where it, like, it gets way weirder in Act 2. Like on the first, uh, in the first, or rather in the, in, in um, uh, yeah, Act 2. In the first act, you're on a map that resembles a real map of Kentucky, you know, around uh, the Mammoth Cave Park, right? Uh, but in Act 2, when you finally make it to the zero, the zero is a circular highway. So if you continue around in a circle, you'll see this, some of the same uh, landmarks again and again, or you might see slightly different ones. Like if you uh, get to the crystal in reverse and you'll find something different than was there before, that kind of thing. I, I thought that was a really cool and it looks cool. Like it's a really cool looking map. It's like this wild sort of like, white on black wireframe illustration thing. I thought it looked really neat. And I also really love that, they, you know, you do return to the main map of Kentucky at the end of the chapter, but you do it uh, with a with flight. Like the, uh, at the end of the chapter, uh, you, uh, you've met a, a little boy who has a brother who's a giant eagle. 
and uh, offers to fly you to the forest where the doctor lives so that you can get uh, Conway's leg looked at. And uh, do, you, do you remember the Joy Division album, um, Unknown Pleasures? I can't say that I remember specifics about it. What do you mean? Do you? So it was the one, um, I'm thinking specifically of the album cover for Unknown Pleasures, which had uh, this kind of uh, white on black waveform illustration. Oh, that sounds familiar. Yes. Okay. I've seen it more as t-shirts than an album cover, honestly. Yeah, it's it shows up on t-shirts a lot because it's a really striking design. And I think it's really similar to the design of the the Zero. Um, and the the album cover for for Unknown Pleasures is actually a, like a scientific illustration of the signal emitted by a pulsar. Which rad that is really what it reminded me of. That's good shit. I love that. Uh, I don't know what else I need to say about this game other uh, about the uh, the story of this game, uh, other than that, like it definitely has me hooked and I'm extremely excited to play more of it. Um, I I was relieved that the way this game is structured, it's designed to let you jump into any chapter. You know, you're not carrying a lot of saved state from one chapter into another. So when you play this game, you you get a menu you can choose from and you can choose to play any chapter in any order. Uh, right from the start, you don't have to unlock them, which I think is going to be very useful for folks who might be returning to this after a long time away. You know, if you last played Kentucky Route Zero back in 2013, you probably don't have a save file from then. Uh, but you don't need one. You can download it on the Nintendo Switch when that version comes out and decide to start at any point that you want. Uh, or maybe you want to play a couple minutes of Chapter 1 to refresh your memory about what all that was about and then jump straight to Chapter 3 or Chapter 4 or something like that. Uh, the game definitely allows you to do that, and I very much appreciate that about it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to playing more of this and especially to playing through Act 5 and seeing the conclusion of something that has been so long in the making. So um, uh, I'm, you know, uh, eager to hear what everybody's thoughts are about Act 5 uh, when it comes out. I, I don't know what could possibly hold up to this. Like, I, I don't know how anybody, any developer can uh, can satisfy after this long of a development process for the final act of anything. But uh, any predictions? Well, I haven't played Acts 3 or 4 yet, so I hardly feel uh, qualified to predict. Some good bluegrass tunes. Yep. That's my prediction. Yep. It's a good prediction. I think they're going to go full 3D FPS, add a few guns. Mm. I think that Act 5 is going to be um, a VR exclusive. That was a joke I was going to make. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're all going to have to upgrade our Nintendo Switches with the uh, head mount. Laura, get your Kinect out of the closet. <laughs> I do not own one. I'll fly to Seattle and use Derek's. Um, <laughs> shout outs to Derek. <laughs> shout out to Derek, who does not listen to this podcast. Uh, well, uh, I'm I'm very eager to hear uh, our listeners' thoughts about this game, too. So, uh, listeners, uh, if you uh, have anything to say about maybe you've played bits of Kentucky Route Zero over the years, or maybe you have thoughts about the TV edition and Act 5 coming out, uh, you know, let us know. We're on Twitter at underscore short game. Maybe you have a different favorite monospaced font. Yeah, maybe you want to tell us uh, what you use in your terminal windows. Let us know about that. Maybe you're experiencing rural American poverty. <laughs> I would hope not. 
I hope I hope all our listeners are thriving and prospering. Yes. Mm-hmm. Tell us all about all of that stuff. In fact, uh, probably the best way to chat with us about this stuff uh, would be on our Discord. Uh, if you're one of our patrons, uh, so patreon.com slash the short game, uh, supporters at any level get access to our exclusive patrons only Discord, which is where the conversations on this show begin. And it's where we plan shows. It's where we talk about the games that we are playing that don't make it on the show. Uh, and it's where we post gifts and other memes. So uh, join us there. Um, and uh, you can also, of course, find our website, www.theshortgame.net, where there's a contact form. And we invite you to give us suggestions uh, of games to cover there. That's a great way to get in touch with us, too. Um, and of course, leave us a review. We have not been mentioning that lately, but it does make a big difference if you uh, if you like the show. Uh, we would love for you to leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice, uh, if it allows for such things. Uh, I'm Reagan Kelly, and you can find me on Twitter at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Uh, Laura, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And Shane, where can people find you? You can find me endlessly roaming America's back roads uh, and on Twitter at 8BitShane. And listeners, thank you for listening to The Short Game.